everyone. Welcome to Built for Impact. I'm Amanda Bosick, and we have a great conversation to share with you today. But before I get started, I want to let you know that this will be the last episode for the summer. We are excited, my husband and I, to be bringing home our third little baby boy in just a few weeks. And so we are planning to take the summer off to be together as a family. And I hope you can do the same thing this summer. Don't worry. We will be right back here mid-August with brand new conversations with leaders who are making a difference. And if you are just craving a Built for Impact episode, you can listen to any of our previous episodes to get your impact fix. I am so grateful for you, and I'm so grateful for your support in listening to this show. I am not going away, just taking a break for the summer. And with that said, enjoy today's episode, and I'll see you right back here in a few months. My mom died all of a sudden out of the blue. It said when she was 72 and I was home, you know, I had to go home and um, we just sat in our house for several days and people just poured in and, but you just have this moment to reflect on like, wait, what am I doing with my life and how do I want to spend the rest of my life? And I really decided right then I had worked really, really hard in my career and was always kind of a racing ahead, you know, marching forward. And I sat in my mom's kitchen and just realized that the community she had built and the relationships in her life and she just had a completely different life. She didn't have a career really, but I just looked around and I was like, oh, life is not a straight line, it's a circle. And just, it really made me revisit everything. And I loved my career in magazines. I love the impact we made with Mary Claire and I love the journalism we did, but I really wanted to, to focus on women's health. From Evergreen Results, this is Built for Impact, a show about mission-minded entrepreneurs, founders and leaders, and the stories behind the impact they're making. I'm Amanda Bostic, and on the show today, how Anne Fullenweider left her job as editor-in-chief for Marie Claire to dive into the world of post-reproductive women's health with a vision to see high-quality and accessible care for every woman over 40. Have you ever had someone close to you pass away and their passing left you reflecting on your own story, your own journey, and the legacy you want to leave? This is what happened for Anne Fullenweider. After her mother died of a sudden heart attack in 2016, Anne became motivated to make an impact in women's health. Anne Fullenweider is a former magazine editor for Marie Claire and a believer in the power of storytelling. She has interviewed powerful women, including Melinda Gates, Mindy Kaling, Gwyneth Paltrow, and the list goes on and on, on stages like the Makers Conference and South by Southwest. I was nervous interviewing her. (laughs) Inspired by all these women she's met who are building a better world for women by disrupting industries, she became an entrepreneur herself in 2020, joining Monica Molinar to change the conversation around women's post-reproductive health. In our conversation, Anne shares the challenges of starting a company focused on women's health, along with the most valuable lessons she has learned along the way. Anne is full of wisdom and grit. 
She is inspiring. Grab your notes and enjoy my conversation with Anne Fullenweider. Anne Fullenweider, I am so excited to speak with you today. Thank you so much. You, uh, Your experience is just amazing, and I'm very excited to talk about it, and I'm excited to talk about what you're doing now um, with Alloy. So to get started, though, because you have had the privilege of interviewing so many amazing uh, women. Hello, pressure on my end. Um, <laughs> so nice to be here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I normally do a would you rather um, with guests, but I thought it would be really fun if we just took a moment to talk a little bit about because your previous experience before doing what you do now, you had the honor of interviewing a lot of amazing women from Melinda Gates, Mindy Kaling, like so many. So Gwyneth Paltrow, like the list goes on and on. I want to know what interview is most memorable to you and why? Mm, that's a great question. And <laughs> thanks again. And absolutely zero pressure. I just love having conversations with people and really curious. So forgive me if I start interviewing you. I just like to know about people. <laughs> um, but so I've had so many great experiences interviewing women on stage. Um, I think one of my favorites was Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She was just really, um, we, did, we were at South by Southwest, and I believe they were launching a new season of Veep, and I just found her funny and real and game and smart. Oh, and, my goodness. Um, she is. Ugh. Yeah, she was pretty great. She was pretty great. Another one, Mindy Kaling was fantastic, hilarious, and we, I think it was... That might have also been South by Southwest. Um, so many great ones. I mean, so many great conversations. In my former job as editor of Mary Claire, I just got to meet so many extraordinary women. Yeah. Was there ever an interview that you felt like you were really expecting it to be like A plus and it was a bomb? <laughs> I will tell you that. Um, so I've You don't have to I've, say who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think that like just getting people relaxed and ready to talk is super important and that yeah. if people are feeling a little uncomfortable or stiff, they're just so unwilling to share and that yeah. just kind of, it's hard to break that down in the middle, like on stage or in the middle of the interview. Yeah. And then also how, what you bring to it yourself as an interviewer. Like I, I've interviewed um, a couple of great founders of startup companies who I've learned so much from. I interviewed one in particular, I interviewed her twice and I interviewed her once in one situation and the other it's sort of in a larger, bigger stage. And we just, I think I was more on the first time and, and it was a more intimate setting and it just went better. Yeah. And the yeah. second time it was a larger setting. I sort of hadn't quite prepared enough even because I was like, Oh, I know her. We're great. We're good. And <laughs> it was just, wasn't as good. It wasn't as fun, but I always get something out of it. And hopefully the audience does too. I love that. I love that. I mean, I could probably, we could probably do a whole podcast about your experience w with Marie Claire and interviewing. I thought it would also be fun to talk about Power Trip because I think this is such an amazing idea. And being a female entrepreneur myself, I especially love it. So can you share with us what Power Trip is and how you came up with this idea? Um, yes, I can't take credit for coming up with the idea. It really was our whole staff's idea. Yeah. We had a um, a meeting coming up with JetBlue, and I just sort of mused out of the blue, like, hey, what if we got an airplane? <laughs> and it was such a crazy idea that people just laughed. But then our staff took it and ran with it. I, I wasn't in the initial meeting. I love This idea that. of bringing together women we have covered in the magazine or had covered. Basically, in my 10 years 
at Mary Claire, I was the executive editor and then the editor in chief. But we just started covering more and more of these amazing female entrepreneurs and people who are heads of things. And then it really grew into as more and more women were st- starting companies, it really gathered steam as a founders conference. And we just we had this partnership with an airline. The airline partner changed throughout the course of the time I was there. So shout out to United as well. But we just decided, like, okay. Women entrepreneurs, even if you're running something and you didn't found it yourself, it is so stressful. It is so hard, particularly Mm -hmm. like just life is hard anyway. Life in New York City is hard. If you're Mm -hmm. a mom, that adds an extra bone to it. But even if you're just trying to find balance yourself or get to a yoga class, it's just really tough. So Mm -hmm. how can we just make this as fun as possible and take all the pressure off so that women can really relax and feel like there's nothing being asked of them and they're just going to have a good time? And so we just, the idea was get them on an airplane in New York after breakfast on Monday and get them back home in time um, in time for dinner on Tuesday. It was kind of a late dinner on Tuesday. And so we met up with sort of the idea was 100 women from New York, 100 women from San Francisco, but we actually grabbed people from all over, you know, East Coast, West Coast, a couple in between. And we had almost 24 hours, not quite, of mingling and mixing and a couple of really interesting interviews on stage and fun sessions like what's your work horoscope we got more and more creative as the years went on um always a really big fun dinner we had dinner on the um, san francisco giants uh baseball diamond two years in a row we had just really great it's kind of great when you just say to anyone that you're talking to like i've got a group of 200 women, all of whom run companies Mm -hmm. in in X, Y, and Z industries, and they have tons of audience and power and, you know, and people just opened up there. We we were out at um, George Lucas's ranch one year. We got a great tour of, you know, just really cool, fun experiences, taking the pressure off. Because when you were running something, as you know, and I know more now than I did back then, Mm -hmm. I just knew it because we covered these women. I ran a magazine and I thought that was kind of tough, but um, (laughs) but I had a whole structure in place. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. (laughs) So the idea was like, take the pressure off, take the, um, like just make everyone wear jeans and sneakers because we're going to do some hikes and we're doing some exercises and we're just going to try to take as much pressure off as possible get as much, as many smart, interesting, creative, curious people in one place and get them talking. And don't, we just, the last thing I'll say about it was that we knew we didn't want too much sitting in the audience listening. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of those and we chose those really carefully. But we wanted to do as many interactive things because when you go to those conferences, a lot of times the more interesting, fun stuff happens kind of in between the the sessions on stage. Yeah. So we wanted to really tap into everyone's ability to chat. And that's where the best conversations happen too, right? So from a networking perspective and a building relationship perspective, like when you're having fun and, you know, you know, relaxing, having fun, enjoying your time, it's so much easier to, yeah, and to meet people and have great conversations. Yeah, it's funny. I have a very funny relationship with the word networking because I realize now I do really love what's called networking. But really what I love is just mm-hmm. meeting people and talking to people and connecting with people. Yes. And that is, you know, yep. technically what networking is. Networking seems, or I used to think of it as having like this other meaning of kind of an agenda or like a transactional mm-hmm. place to mm-hmm. it. But actually, I've learned even more so having left Mary Claire two years ago to start Alloy Women's Health that it's just all, everything in life is about relationships. Everything in life. It is. Everything. Everything. I say it all the time. It's definitely the most important thing. So speaking of that transition from networking and getting to know all these female entrepreneurs to getting into entrepreneurship yourself, let's talk about what you're doing now. So can you explain what you were doing? And then we're going to talk about why you started it. Sure. Yep. Um, I left Mary Claire 
January 1 of 2020, really, and started Alloy Women's Health, which is a digital health platform for women over 40. We want to be the trusted health partner for all women over 40, but we're beginning with the symptoms of menopause, um, really rooted Mm -hmm. in evidence-based solutions, um, FDA-approved medications. We also have a nutritional supplement. Mm -hmm. We have a phenomenal medical advisory board headed by our chief medical officer, Dr. Sharon Malone, really Mm -hmm. with the idea that women are not getting enough information. There aren't actually enough gynecologists in the country in general for any age, but mm-hmm. really leveraging the, you know, the internet and, and technology to democratize access to care and to really scale mm-hmm. world-class expertise in mental health, sexual wellness, mm-hmm. nutrition, and, mm-hmm. and really menopause symptom solutions. So to, so that to get them to many, many more women than are getting them now. Yeah. Which is huge. I mean, the need is huge. And I love it. And (laughs) having entered that, entering, I'm going to say entering that way. I don't have to give, I mean, I'm giving away my age a little bit, but anyways, getting there. So it's really important to me, but I remember very clearly when my mom um, was going through it. And I remember very clearly that she just felt like this is just how it is. Like this is like there's not really anything I can do about these things, you know, and <laughs> things like <laughs> I have vivid memories of her going from like really cold to really hot, <laughs> really fast. And we would laugh and she wasn't laughing. And so now I feel really <laughs> bad because now I have a much better understanding of what she was going through. And I'm like, I've even told her before, mom, I'm really sorry for <laughs> how I treated you during that period of time. No, it's laughter but it's can true. really be It's helpful. kind of like we just feel like it is what it is. But it doesn't really have to be that way. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, I'm not the doctor, but I've, I joke that in the last two years, I've gotten an MBA, an MD, and a JD because of all the time I spent with doctors, business people, <laughs> and lawyers, mm-hmm. doctors being my favorites. But Sharon Malone and you know all of the sort of women's health experts and specifically North American Menopause Society, um, mm-hmm. which uh, certifies OBGYNs, family practitioners, nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. all of them in menopausal health. Mm-hmm. There is... 20 years ago, a study came out that really put a lot of fear out into the ether about what really is one of the safest and most effective treatments. We believe at Alloy in a holistic approach. We believe that there's nutrition and Mm -hmm. mental health and sexual health, all part of it. But really, it does begin with hormones because when you go into menopause, what happens is your body stops making estrogen. And we have hundreds Mm -hmm. of estrogen receptors throughout our body that like really hair, skin, eyes, you know, as well as our uh, yeah. sexual organs, but our bones, our brains, our blood, our hearts, all mm-hmm. of it has estrogen. Actually, I'm not sure about the blood piece. That's don't quote me. I'm not a doctor. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, but <laughs> but so when your body starts making estrogen, all of those things are affected, and mm-hmm. so there are 34 mm-hmm. named symptoms of menopause. One of the ones you discussed, the hot flashes, is the most bothersome. 80 percent of women will go through hot flashes, experience them bothersome enough to go seek treatment. And by the way, you know, 100 mm-hmm. percent of women and people with ovaries will go through menopause. Yeah. So really what happened 20 years ago was this idea that you could replace some of the estrogen in your body and really supplement your body's natural estrogen, that Mm -hmm. that somehow was dangerous. And there was a study that was done. I'm not going to go deep, deep into it because it's such a rabbit hole, but the headlines Mm -hmm. were very scary and in fact were taken out of context. And so Sharon Malone, who has dedicated her life to women's health and specifically to menopausal health, talks all about the idea that women should be empowered to make their own health decisions with the facts and just not based on fear. 
And so the more mm-hmm. information that we can mm-hmm. get out there, um, really, I'm an information pusher. It's what I've always done. I've been a storyteller, a communicator, and that's really where I come in. But the more information we can get to women and the more we can put context around this study, and there's a huge activism um, menopause activist group in the UK that's doing an amazing job talking about how far this is mm-hmm. set women back. Because when you don't supplement your natural hormone, uh, estrogen, and many, many, many women can, many more than who think it's safe, mm-hmm. all of those things get the preventative, you know, your symptoms are solved, but also you have the preventative care, you know, osteoporosis, bone fractures, some of the largest killers of women, as well as, yeah. you know, protecting your heart, your brains, and your bones. Really important for us as we age and so that we can have healthy and vibrant, mm-hmm. you know, lives until our 90s. Yeah. Knock wood. I have definitely become more and more thankful for the amount of conversations and education and information that I feel like it has started around hormones in general for women, hormone imbalance. But with that said, there's still a big gap when it comes to understanding menopause and and how we can help ourselves and help our bodies go through that period of life without it being torturous. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, prior generations, there also has been this idea that you just grin and bear mm-hmm, it and that women mm-hmm. are just meant to suffer or we're good at suffering yep. or we, you know, <laughs> we can get by, we've gotten through. And my feeling is, you know, I just turned 50, which is a big, scary number beforehand. And now I'm totally excited about it because I feel great. Good. And, um, it's a nice number to think about 50 more. My grandmother lived to 101. So yes. hopefully I've got those genes. But um, I've been through so many phases of my life, mm-hmm. puberty you know, even early sexuality mm-hmm. and, you know, pregnancy, mm-hmm. fertility issues, all of that postpartum depression, which as I was saying before, off when, before we started recording yeah. that I didn't even realize I had postpartum depression because no one around me was talking about yeah. it. And I di- sort of self-diagnosed myself listening to other people talk about it. So there's so many phases of life that have sort of thrown us all for a loop and really I'll be damned what this one's going to. I'm not going <laughs> to let it do that. Like, but through conversation and education yeah. and really this whole movement around women's health and how we've all been underserved in terms of research and mm-hmm. trials and mm-hmm. so much more to do and so many things that affect women only yeah. that um, the more we talk about them, the, the more quickly we can solve them. I love it. I love that mission. So can you share with us how you guys got started? Because what you're doing is not easy. <laughs> and no, I, on top of it, the whole world was, is, was, I don't know, really know how to describe it now, but was experiencing a pandemic. So like you had that on top of just the challenge, the natural challenges you were going to have anyways. And it, I'm sure, you know, you're climbing mountains. Yeah. I mean, I think naivete had a lot to do with it, honestly. Like, <laughs> I known <laughs> what this was really going to entail. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, my it's word. Like the everything. amount of things that I could say <laughs> I've overcome in my life because of that. That's true. Or I should say mm-hmm. what I got into because of naivete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's you could call it naivete. I do. But yeah. I also call it optimism yep. and sort of, a, you know, what you don't know. Yep. Like, what are we supposed to do? All sort of you know, sit in our homes and yeah. shudder in fear, which actually we've been doing for a little while. So time to start doing that. Yep. But um, yep. But basically, so I had been at magazines for my whole life. I worked at um, Vanity Fair for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I worked at Brides Magazine. I was at Mary Claire yeah. and really thought I was going to spend the rest of my time and my career in the words and culture business. Yeah. Um, but as I, as we were talking about Power Trap, I just started meeting all these amazing entrepreneurs and these women who were really kind of, basically what I was seeing is like women were coming up to a certain point in their life, be it trying to get a dress, shopping, or planning a wedding, yeah. or, you know, so many dating, so many things that 
weren't working for them mm-hmm. the way they were set up already out there and saying like, you know what, I'm going to change this, mm-hmm. which I thought was so inspiring and really a, a, not a hallmark of Gen X. I mean, we've learned it from the generations younger than us, but mm-hmm. you know, when I got to New York, it was like, okay, you apprentice at a magazine and then you get a small job and then you get a slightly bigger job. And then it's, like, it's just very yeah. sort of set in stone, yeah. old fashioned, kind of like becoming a blacksmith in the 1800s <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, but we... So it was like this really, really cool new way of experiencing the world. Yeah. And then also, you know, my mom died all of a sudden out of the blue it set when she was 72. Mm. And I was home. You know, I had to go home. My dad mm-hmm. and mom had lived in the same house for 50 years. And mm. so I just was raised home and was there for my dad and my family and my sister. And, and um, we just sat in our house for several days and people just poured in. And yeah. my mom's friends and we you had to do all that planning and you're really in kind of a fog. Anyway, yeah. just re- when you go through something like that and mm-hmm. and, you know that's the way we all will at some point. But you just have this moment to reflect on like, wait, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. And how do I want to spend the rest of my life? And I really decided mm-hmm. right then, I mean, she, I had worked really, really hard in my career and was always kind of a go-getter and a racing, like just racing ahead, yeah. you know, marching forward. And I sat in my mom's kitchen for days, like two weeks, and just realized that like the community she had built and the surrounding, like the relationships in her life. And she just had a completely different life. She didn't have a career really, but I just looked around and I was like, oh, life is not a straight line. It's a circle. And I want to just, it really made me revisit everything. Mm -hmm. And I loved my career in magazines, but kind of right around then I just decided I wanted to do something that had more of an impact and that would be, I love the impact we made with Mary Claire and I love the journalism we did, but I really wanted to to focus on women's health. Mm -hmm. So that was a long introduction to the fact that I started thinking what else I could do with my skills as a communicator and a, a storyteller yeah. and a, a magazine editor. Um, and then a good friend of mine approached me with this idea. She had gone, th- M- Monica Molinar, my co-founder, had gone through surgical menopause when she was 40. Mm. So she'd had her ovaries removed mm-hmm. to because um, she was BRCA positive, meaning she had the breast cancer gene. Yep. And right around that time, Angelina Jolie had written an op-ed about her decision to have some surgical intervention to prevent uh, breast cancer and certainly also you know, when you remove your ovaries, you remove 100% the chance of getting ovarian right. cancer, which is also a big right. um, factor in that decision. So she, anyway, she went into surgical menopause overnight. So I called her the canary in the coal mine because all of a sudden she just had all these symptoms and it took her five years and five doctors to get the right protocol yeah. that worked for her and that she was feeling good about and feel confident in, in mm-hmm. the way she was getting herself to feel better. And so she was like, and we got to fix this. And I was thinking about women's health as well. And, you know, we happened to sort of organically meet someone who's really interested in funding a menopause company. And we talked about it for a while. And then at the end of 2019, I quit my job and we launched. And then six weeks later, I got COVID (laughs) and the world world turned upside down as we know it, Um, which was again, like had I known I was getting into it. But the thing is, honestly, deciding to do a digital platform for healthcare, which is, you know, Alloy, which is myalloy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you go; it's entirely web based. You, you know, you go through an, an assessment on our online. Mm-hmm. We um, have connect you with with uh, menopause trained doctors. We are sending prescriptions through the mail, so it's all based in the you know in the interwebs, yep. as we like to say. Yep. And so the idea of women getting their healthcare or anyone getting their healthcare that way before the pandemic was actually a pretty uh, even more naive idea. Mm-hmm. Certainly, people were doing it. But it would have taken a lot longer, and I don't For wish sure. the pandemic on anyone. I lost an uncle during the pandemic. Mm. I do not. COVID has been horrible. Yeah. I wish the world never seen it. Yep. But the one thing it did do is, I mean, it did a couple of things, it slowed everyone down. But it also, mm-hmm. um, it really got everyone used to the idea that they could get healthcare online. Mm-hmm. So that's been actually kind of helpful for us. Absolutely, and I also think it brought a spotlight to health overall because obviously it brought a spotlight to what 
the whole world was going through in the virus. But it, I think in general, especially because of, you know, the things like having to shelter in place and the whole world going through something, but everyone going through it differently, which is an mm-hmm. interesting experience. But um, just caused all of us, I think, to dive into education more than we would have in the past, which I think had its positives, like learning more about our health and how things don't have to be a certain way. (laughs) But I am picturing this time period of launching, quitting your job that you loved, but that you were excited for what was coming ahead, which, you know, that in and of itself is different than a lot of entrepreneurs, some entrepreneurs, I should say, because sometimes we we leave something that we hated and we go into something that we think we're going to love and hope we love. And then sometimes, and we leave something that we love, but we're doing it because of the big picture. Like you said, when you were reflecting on your life and the impact you want to make and the things that you truly care about. And so it's not as if you left because you didn't enjoy what you were doing. You, it sounds like you loved it, but you felt compelled to step into this new industry and this new world. And I applaud that because it, that takes a different kind of courage than when we leave something we hate. Thank you. Thanks so much. I haven't really thought about it that way, Amanda. So thank you so much. It's certainly people say to me, like, this is where I think, think about the naivety. I'm like, wow, that was so risky. You left this whole yeah. career. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it didn't seem like that at the time. I mean, I just was sort of like, this is a really cool, exciting thing to do. I want a, I'm looking for a new chapter in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think as you that one of the benefits of growing become, you know, getting a bit older, yeah. you know, as you You've kind of built a career. You have mm-hmm. something to look back on and say, like, okay, I've done this. Yeah. Now, but a lot of the first half of my life, and I'm calling it the first half optimistically, but <laughs> has been about like reacting to things that come down the pike. Like, oh my God, here's this. Yeah. Okay, there's this, yeah. this. And it's just you have to be yep. reactive to some. Or you, I never really fully figured out how to be other anything other than reactive. I mean, sure, like I wanted to go into magazines. I moved to New York. I got some jobs. Those things were were proactive, but so much of it just kind of comes at you in like a Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think of it like being in a river and just like the it's the rapids and the water's just coming and you just got to like ad- avoid the logs yep. and try to, but so yep. I really think about the rest of my life as how do I want to be m- intentional mm-hmm. and how, how, what do I really want to use the rest of my time mm-hmm. as a metaphor and how do I want to even just grow as a person? Yeah. I mean, I'm just really, really curious. I've learned so much mm-hmm. in the last little over two years. Mm-hmm. I really have felt, and I've been doing some reading about this, I guess lots of people already knew this, but when you do different skills, you literally build new neural pathways mm-hmm. in your brain. Mm-hmm. Again, not a doctor, so I really don't. Fully <laughs> I've, read too, I've read about this too, though. I've read about this too, though. Right. So you know the the well trodden paths through your brain are very mm-hmm. after if you're doing the same thing for a long time. And what I loved about magazines is that it was never really the same thing. There was always a new topic, a new yeah. something to cover. The material never changed, but the job itself after you got the hang of it, mm-hmm. didn't really change that much, which is why it was fun to do new things like start a conference or do, right. you know, interview people on stage. Right. That was all a part of like making it more interesting for myself. But really learning entirely new skills, um, it's very humbling about how little you actually really do know even after a 25-year career in yeah. one thing. But I literally feel my brain growing. I feel the neural pathways yeah. being broken. And it's been very, selfishly, it's been fascinating and great and really enriching. So I think I just never thought about it as 
leaving something I loved. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think about that thing that I loved for so long and did as always part of me and really I feel that I carry it with me um, yeah. into the next adventure. Yeah. There are a few things there that you just said that I that I love. You know, the idea of something being really risky comes up a lot in conversations with leaders who have started something and and most more often than not almost every leader I've spoken to have received that question or that statement I should say of that must have been so scary or how did you like <laughs> what made you want to take that risk you know and really it's this idea of and the more I talk to leaders, the more I find this to be true. It's a calculated risk. It's not as if you're just like stepping off of a ledge and there's <laughs> nothing there to catch you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, like you think you packed a bag, right? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you packed your bag, you planned for it. Now, now, whether or not you are able to plan for everything because you've never done it before you know, that's different because we learn along the way and we figure things out and we pivot and we move and we flex. But the idea that you didn't bring a bag at all, <laughs> you just got up and right. you left, you know, that <laughs> I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have that we just kind of like all of a sudden step into the unknown out of nowhere when it was a lot of thought and intention and planning and purpose behind it. And I find that that is probably one of the biggest misconceptions people have about starting anything. And I think it's also what holds a lot of people back because they do have this fear of, I don't know how to do it and I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to do it at all. Versus going into the next point you said that I love, stretching ourselves to learn new things is huge. I mean, we emphasize it when we're little because our kids are learning something new, but there comes a point in time where for some reason we feel like we should stop doing that. When I really think that that's how we were made, it's kind of like our muscles. If we stop using them, then they stop growing. (laughs) Like they just become stagnant. And it's the same with our brains, you know? So I love the fact that you bring that up. I have in my husband and I, in running the company that we run, we are very intentional about the team when we're leading our team members and even for ourselves, leading by example, constantly learning new things. Now, the world that we are in is constantly changing. So it's a little bit easier for us to do that because it's truly like, you know, one day everything was on paper and the next it's not. So, um, <laughs> it you know, we're kind of forced to do that. But I, I think in a lot of industries, you're not unless you are intentional about it. So I love the intentionality that you have put. And I remember one somebody saying to me one time that courage doesn't feel like courage to the person going through it. We just feel like we're doing what we're supposed to do. We don't actually feel brave. <laughs> Maybe yeah, later really- when we look back, we're like, that was brave. Yeah. I can see that. But in the moment, we don't feel brave. We're just doing what we feel like we know we're supposed to do. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. And that like sometimes your the challenges that come up, which come up all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you have a choice all the time of how you're going to face them. Like, oh, is this just is this the thing that's just going to kill us? I'm just going to give up, pack up, and go home, or are <laughs> yeah. we just going to plow through? And I do think about the story that we will be telling you, you know, in a few years or years to come about how we got through this and that. And it's funny yeah. you say that about how that misconception that you were talking about at the beginning that 
that founders are this risky, brave breed of people that jump out of airplanes and, you know, without a parachute. And um, I actually think about that a lot in our, my own role, storytelling at Mary Claire and, and, and covering all of these founders and asking them the story. Yeah. And it's a story that I think is really appealing, right? Like, it's like, oh, you're must be Captain America. You know, you, <laughs> you've like, you're this big hero. And then you have these qualities that no one else has yeah. and tell us about them. Oh, great founder. You know, and the fact <laughs> is that the founders that we interviewed, some of them were wildly successful. Some of them in the middle of success. Some of them talking about a lot of their failures, um, are just normal people who made certain yeah. choices and then decided to stick with it. And that, I even fell into the trap of like, oh, wow, look at all these founders. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, for the most part, there's certainly some things that need to be in place and they've taken calculated risks. And for everyone, the calculated risks are their own. And I would say also we did a little bit of, listen, we met some amazing women and yeah. so many great female founders, but um, everyone's got their struggles and everyone's working mm-hmm. with them. And everyone's sense mm-hmm. of like, uh, I don't know, I think we 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 mythologized it a little bit to too much really yeah. looking back on it because it's now become this category and this thing that I now know is kind of risky and most startups fail. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we should have been a little more honest about all of that with, um, <laughs> with all of our readers. I mean, I just think that, that curiosity and a, a desire to learn and a perseverance of some kind can help yeah. no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. You don't have to be a founder. You don't have to start something for that to really help your professional path, your personal path or your personal development. Amen. That is so true. So along those lines of persevering, so far, what has been the greatest hurdle that you have had to jump over and overcome? I'll phrase it a slightly different way. When Monica and I started and we had Kairos as an um, incubator who was who had been really supportive throughout, really helpful, yeah. and really kept us going in many ways, um, we thought we were going to do like a content site and maybe sell a few things. We were like, yeah. let's just create kind of a magazine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I could do that. And then the, I was like, well, why is all this? Why is there all this fear? Why are people so confused about what to do? I mean, there's plenty of other areas of health where this is true as well. But um, but we just, I put on my journalist hat and started doing the digging and realized I'm not the only person. It's huge. Once you dig into it, there's this giant sort mm-hmm. of medical world knowledge that there was a study that came out 20 years ago that set things on the rough, off on the wrong course and that really... It's the 20-year anniversary this year, which is just crazy that we've been sort of living in the dark for 20 years about what the best solutions are. So mm-hmm. once we figure that out, we realize that if you're not talking to women about hormones after 45, then you're just really doing them a disservice. Mm-hmm. Again, every woman can make their own choice, but there's really some information gap to be filled here. And so all mm-hmm. of a sudden, we realized, you know what, we the best thing to do would actually really be to get this information out there medically and professionally to women and get the right solutions in their hands. And so all of a sudden we went from founding a a, really a a content site to with maybe a little e-commerce on the side to like, to all of a sudden launching like digital telehealth, online pharmacy, (laughs) majorly regulated industries and like, okay, yeah, th- this is like a much bigger deal than we, <laughs> than we set out. There is so much to learn about the legalities, the, the yeah. you know, just telehealth law has changed so much in the last, since COVID. And uh, there's so many pieces of it. So I would say one of the biggest hurdles um, to get to your actual question that we've had to overcome is there were so many reasons why this wouldn't work. And we got so, we had so many conversations with so many lawyers who were just sort of like, well, I mean, one of them literally said to us, I mean, in 25 years of being a, a telehealth lawyer, I've never seen this. And we were like, 
Exactly. That's why we're here. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but getting out of that mentality of like, it's just really, it takes a little, it took me a little while, 25 years in one career to get into this mentality of like, okay, if you don't wake up in the morning and literally build this with a hammer and nail, it will not exist. Yeah. And you have to persevere through all the naysayers and all. So we spent a long time with a couple of different, um, I mean, not really long time, but too much time. We finally realized like, oh, we don't have to do it this way, or we can ditch this partner, or we can, you know, yeah. get a different lawyer, or we can sort of, so sort of, you know, there's a very cliched thing in the startup world about failing fast. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it failing fast. It was just like about, I guess it's sort of, it means that, but like, if it's not working, find a different way and just. I like failing forward. I like that too. Yeah. I'm just going to, cause I'm going to keep going. I'm yeah. just going to learn from it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And that I was like, when I heard that again, like I was like, oh, fail. That means like someone yeah. started a company and it didn't work or like a whole, you know, you went bankrupt or like something terrible happened. Yeah. But the failures, yeah. the like, like things that aren't working um, happen. So sort of, it, takes, it just has taken me a minute and now I'm much better at being like, oh, you know what? This isn't working. We're going to do it a different way. Or this is like, we tried it this one way. That's what one person told us. Just because that one person told us that does not mean it's the way to do it. You know, yeah. this is when you're building something new, there really is no roadmap. Right, right. Again, I applaud you because I think that especially when you do have so many naysayers, particularly when they're people that you're sur- you're intentionally surrounding yourself with and seeking the advice of and then and then they say like, you know, I I I'm not sure what you're thinking here. Like Yeah. <laughs> it's But if it's, you ask different people, you get different answers. Say, yeah, but, and it takes a lot to say uh we really believe in this and we really think this is needed. There you know, you haven't seen it for a reason, right? Right. So that does take grit and tenacity and that is something to be applauded for sure. Um because you started this with um a co-founder, how has that been? Have you guys always been in agreement or has that been tough? Oh God, it's been great. I mean, I could never, ever, ever do this by myself. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's just been having run, um, being, you know, it's very established yeah. editor in chief magazine had very established system and I always had a publisher, right. but it really is a little lonely at the top. And so I really mm-hmm. appreciate having a, um, a co-founder and someone to bounce ideas off of. I think one of the reasons it works with us is it was Monica's idea. Mm-hmm. I have a very specific skill set that I bring to it. And I, um, actually, you know, we talk about our actual own health journeys all the time. Uh, yeah. So now forgive me for getting super gritty, but I'm, so Monica experienced menopause at 40 and I am still in perimenopause. So we have very different, mm-hmm. you know, um, she comes to yeah. more of the physical symptoms. I had more of that, that like, perimenopause makes you feel crazy. And, and I say crazy with empathy for all mental health issues. Right. Um, right. I really just was going through some crazy mood swings. And again, I use yeah. crazy like to really describe how I was feeling to myself. Yeah. So I come from from a different place. So we are sort of, and I also think that both of us have had careers. Like, so Monica is a, this is her actually third company that she started, but she went to business school. She started a really great food company called Seed and Mill. So she comes to it from a completely different, she's a, she went to business school. It's like, yeah, that should just be like a, a one point of this. Like she went to business yeah. school. I ran a magazine. We have different skills and we also both have had success in our lives. So there isn't a battle of egos or territory. It's sort mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. neither. We're really, really invested in it. We care so much about it. It's very mission driven. Yeah. But at the same time, neither of us feels like this is going to make or break our own personal identities. I mean, yeah, it's going to succeed, and we love it. I guess I'm trying to say that our egos don't get in the way. Yeah. I think that's probably 
I think right. that's huge. I think that's huge. And and such great advice, too, because I know um, a lot of our listeners are co-leading with others. And so I think that's just really great advice because it's not always it's not always easy, but when you have a really clear picture of where your gifts lie and where your strengths lie and where your role is, then then you also have gratitude for your partner and and what their role is because you know that you don't have that experience or those talents yeah. to fill that spot, right? Absolutely. And this and I do think it's very helpful and clarifying to have those conversations over and over. Like it just like yeah. reiterate, you know, so that you don't Yes. It's more, it's not an ego thing with us. It's really more just about like, okay, we have a lot to do. We have two talented people here. Let's use the best. Like, yeah. let's think of it about a time-saving thing. Like, let's yeah. not redund- be redundant because we, there's too much to do. If we, yeah. if we both like split it 50-50 div- div- uh, division of labor, it still probably wouldn't be enough manpower to do everything we need right. to do. But it's, so even if it's just like a time efficiency thing. Right, exactly. Helpful. Can you share with us what is the what is your vision for the company? Where where like in so many years, like where do you want to see it go? I want Alloy to be an integral part of every woman over 40s healthcare journey. I want it to be their I want us to be your friend, your partner, but mm-hmm. also your source of of solid information and that you feel heard and seen. Yeah. You know, we really really, you know, we're starting with the symptoms of menopause where we have three or four things that we're selling right now. We want to expand into mental health and sexual wellness and mm-hmm. even um, nutrition. And and I feel really strongly about, about the mental health piece. And we really want to, right now we're a direct to consumer company. So yeah. you find us on the internet, but we also really quickly want to integrate ourselves into the healthcare system so that we're, you know, part of the, because we are helping me- with menopause, but you still need as a woman to go get your mammograms and yep. your um, pap smears, et cetera. So there is always going to be a need for yep. in-person care. And we feel see, see ourselves as complementary to that care as opposed to a replacement for it. So we really want to integrate ourselves quickly into sort of the ecosystem that already exists for women. There isn't enough of it, but it does exist. And I love finally, that. and the most important is that we want to democratize access to quality menopause care and mm-hmm. really to aging because you see a lot of great services. They're very expensive and there's a lot of uh, boutique type businesses out there serving women, but they're expensive and they're very, you know, coastal and they're very, frankly, like they're not accessible to a lot of people. So it's very important to us to keep our prices accessible and to keep, um, not make this concierge, boutique, expensive, fancy Mm -hmm. um, help for rich people. It's really, and that's kind of one of the things that happened or two of the things that happened 20 years ago when this study happened is that there were 40% of women in menopause were being prescribed menopausal hormonal treatment. And then it went down to like 3%. And again, those are pretty accurate percentages, but not a hundred percent. I'd like to fact check myself. Um, But so all of a sudden this pretty like universally accepted at that point, safe and effective care for women kind of like disappeared. And therefore two things happened. One is that it started to pop up in a very boutique sort of concierge way where women were being told that they need to have their hormones tested, they need to take their blood test, they need to get a, their own specific concoction of um, you know, compounded hormones that then mm-hmm. they take. And that is what people are doing. And it's helping, by the way, because there are horm- because you're supplementing your horm- hormones mm-hmm. and that really helps. But it's super expensive. It's like mm-hmm. you know, upwards of $400 a month. So that's not a, a solution for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not FDA approved, so we don't do compounded hormones. But mm-hmm. You know, I am just glad women are getting hormones. And then the other thing that happened is that people went to the, um, just to the nutritional supplements, a lot of which can be helpful and a lot of which are 
in fact, with horm- with menopause, the ones that are the most horm- uh, helpful are the ones that are phytoestrogens because, again, you're replacing the, horm- the estrogen. Right, right. But they're just not regulated. It's hard to know what you're getting, and they also can be quite expensive. So mm-hmm. um, we are selling a symbiotic, which is a prebiotic plus a probiotic because one of the keys to healthy aging that has been studied is a diverse microbiome, and you know, there's a lot of attention being paid to that. So we yep. do sell nutritional supplements and we do believe in some of them, but really this like straightforward access to medical solutions yeah. is the gap that needs to be filled. And so so we're starting there and we really want to fill it out very quickly with particularly the mental health solutions because we're all suffering now. I love that because I'm sure many of our listeners could empathize with the fact that especially I think with suppl- supplements and for women, it can be a rabbit hole and you can start to spend so much money just trying to figure out what is going to help and what is the most important. And it felt like a, you know, kind of almost like you were drowning in a sea of supplements. Like, <laughs> Yeah. There's just a lot of noise out there. And that there was our, that's our vision is really to cut through and give you the basic information. And, you know, pe- people will supplement in whatever way they, f- they want, but mm-hmm. really the basics, there's really a lack of sort of basic, clear information and that's where we want to start. Yeah. Um, and then I also would say that, I don't know, I think that I loved my career in magazines mm-hmm. and I loved, I did not start off in the fashion industry. I ended up editor-in-chief of a fashion magazine and a beauty magazine. And I love so many things that we did and I love getting dressed and feeling good and putting on creams and good and getting yeah. the right eyeliner. It's all part of feeling great as a woman. So I right. don't denigrate any of it at all. But I also was privy to the idea that women are buying a whole bunch of stuff that they don't need and they're paying a lot of money for it and it's not helping. And it's just, I am happy to be rooted more in what really is going to help. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think the way you described that's really um, beneficial and beautiful because that's, that is true. We are surrounded by so many different options and it's just, it can feel really overwhelming. And, and at the end of the day, we just want to feel good. Like, yeah, we just want to feel, I mean, I've been in investor meetings, I have to say where, and I've I've met so many interesting, great investors, so many great, like fascinating people who really do want to make an impact with their investments and, you know, some who don't, but certainly, but I just have heard it a few times, like, oh, you can sell women anything. And it's like so cynical. Yeah. Like it's just so- That's offensive. Unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And I, my sort of core goal here is just get women the help that they need and don't do it at the expense of their pocketbook. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And if you were to give our listeners, because our listeners are leaders in all different kinds of capacities and spaces, but all of our listeners are leaders who want to make a difference and want to make an impact and and believe that that's why we're here, you know, because we're, we're here to make a difference in whatever way that might be. So if you were to give our listeners three pieces of, piece of advice from your journey the past several years, what would that be? Oh my gosh. Well, I'd love to hear from them. I need their advice. But I would say um, if you are in the impact business, like Mm -hmm. wanting to help people, Mm -hmm. finding other, you know, we all need as as businesses, we need lawyers, we need accountants, we need investors, we need all these things. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of those services out there everywhere. But aligning yourself as quickly as possible with people who also get your mission or at least are also, they don't have to like be like another menopause aligned lawyer, but (laughs) just people who get the impact piece of it. Mm -hmm. Because there are Mm -hmm. plenty of people who are out there and helpful, good people to some who are, but just cost a lot of money and maybe don't, 
aren't aligned. Had we gotten, yes. you know, the right lawyer early on, we probably would be in a different place sooner yeah. than we want. But like, and there are just, I have just found like with, whether it be the lawyer or the accountant or the investors, finding people who are aligned with the fact that you want to make a difference yes. is super important Yeah, because there's just cut through so much bullshit that way. Yep. I love that. That's so good. And so true. So true. Yeah. And it's also just a good lens for making the decisions, right? You're interviewing mm-hmm. like six different people for anything. Then basically like it's a, just a great filter for decision making. Yeah, for sure. Which like you have to make so many decisions so many so quickly and that's just helpful. Like, hmm, these people like align with the fact that we want to make a difference. Yeah. Or are they just like a really good, yeah. you know, fill in the blank. Um, so that's been really helpful. God, you said three pieces of advice. Um, we have a no asshole rule. I love it. I love it. It's a little bit to do with what I just said, but like you have the choice, right? You're building a business. You're building a culture. Make sure that you're aligning. Your, like yes. you don't need to put up with with anything that you don't want to. It's a privilege to be you know working for you or with you. And so don't hire or al- choose the partnerships with people who don't feel right oh, and who are jerks. Gosh, I love that. I'm at, we yeah. might be adding that to our... <laughs> our list of cult, uh, cultural values. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Policy. the third one, and just in terms of like, I find, because, you know, we, as we said, we launched this like two months before COVID, like put us all underground. Mm-hmm. I find managing remotely, and we are remote, you know, we yeah. very much like, yeah. have gotten great talent all over the, all over the world actually yep. that way. But I find managing via Zoom, et cetera, like really requires extra over communication and, and, yes. you know, in-person gatherings when possible, even just once a year, yep. we're trying to do four a year of just like yep. touch points where, cause it's just, it's a different thing and having mm-hmm. managed people for 25 years in a different way. I've, I found it very hard to like, actually, you know, so many things that would just happen yeah. if you're all in one room or if you're just passing by or you're popping in someone's office or by their desk that now need to be scheduled and you have to have a Zoom meeting and you yeah. have to get everyone's calendar aligned. And that is just a little formal. So just yeah. trying to make space for those more casual human interactions yeah. um, is helpful to culture building. So true. It's so true. And this has been such a pleasure. If you were to leave our listeners with one thing that you wish you would have known when you were younger, what would that be? Uh, I say this a lot and it's, it's such a cliche, but it's so hard to like that your, your intuition is Mm. worth listening to. Like when you're five, maybe it's different, but like in terms of younger (laughs) professional person or even in high school or college, like I wish I had listened to myself more for sure. And I keep learning that lesson. Keep, I keep learning it. Like hopefully I'm getting a little better at it every, every year, but it's something that I I can't learn enough. Man, that's so true. And it, it's also so true that practicing practicing listening to ourselves and practicing that mindfulness is so important. And I think because, as we talked about earlier, things can get so noisy now that I think it's a little bit easier for us to ignore or maybe not even hear what our gut is saying to us because it's so noisy. And Absolutely. then we miss really valuable lessons or decisions that could have been made differently. And I feel like when I was running Mary Claire, right, there are just so many different yeah. stakeholders. There's like, and everyone wants something different yeah. out of the yeah. leader, let's say specifically yep. about work. Like, And the only person with the perspective on all of it is mm-hmm. the person who's leading the organization. And maybe there are a couple of people leading the organization, yeah. but still listening to all the different stakeholders, if you listen to one at a time, you'd be like, oh, I guess we should really do that. Or no, I guess you know, for the advertisers, we need to do this. For the celebrity, we need to do this. Yeah. For the fashion yeah. world, we need to yeah. do this. It's like, Synthesizing all that together and being like, no, what's the best thing overall for the mm-hmm. business? You know, 
So it's not just like, oh, I feel this energy of, it's, it sounds yeah. woo-woo, right? Like listen to the intuition, but it's like, no, just listen to like, you trust yourself. And so many times yeah. earlier in my career, I didn't mm-hmm. listen to that. And then I learned later like, oh, you know what? Yeah. I was right. That was actually what I we should have done and I should listen to myself. And then now where we're like, listen, we really, there's no roadmap. We, the decisions we make every day will definitely impact us, hopefully for the better. Hopefully the decisions are good. Um, it's almost more in high relief. Like there aren't that many other people to listen to anyway. So I guess I just <laughs> got to go with my gut. <laughs> um, and it's an informed yeah. gut. Like, you know, just that includes like taking in all the different in- advice or yeah. pieces of information or pieces of data, sort of sifting mm-hmm. through them and then going with your gut. It's not right. like ignoring everyone. Right. Exactly. I love that. Can you let our listeners know how they can learn more about you, more about Alloy? Sure. Thank you. Um, you should go to myalloy.com, which is M-Y-A-L-L-O-Y.com. And we named it Alloy, by the, by the way, because an alloy is a fusion of elements for strength and protection. So That's we're really awesome. getting all the different things in that will help us. And then I'm at just at Ann Fullenwider, which is a mouthful to spell, but it's I'll spell it A N N E. F-U-L-E-N-W-I-D-E-R. And that's my Instagram, probably the best awesome. place to find me. And there's a bunch of information on us about us at myalloy.com. That's fantastic. And we'll provide links in the show notes for all of our listeners. And I, I mean, I feel I really could have like just talked to you for so, so, so much longer. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been such a privilege and such a great, rich conversation. So I really appreciate it. Me too, Amanda. I hope we could do it again. That's Anne Fullenwider, co-founder of Alloy Women's Health. You can learn more about Alloy at myalloy.com. And you can follow Anne on Instagram at Anne Fullenwider. If you want to hear more stories of incredible people, organizations, and impact, you can hear all of our past interviews at evergreenresults.com slash impact or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Evergreen Results a full-service marketing agency that helps purpose-driven organizations scale and sustain impact. You can find us on the web at evergreenresults.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to miss you over the summer, but stay inspired. And I'll see you right back here in August.